Grab a seat. Well, howdy. My name is Kevin Barra. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus, and I am so excited to be with you here this morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, so you can be flipping over there. I'm going to read a little bit for you in a second, but 1 Samuel chapter 17, we'll be starting in verse 17 in a little bit. But it's 2018, people. It is 2018. It is a new year. It is a new time for new opportunities, for new possibilities. It is a new year. 2017 is gone and 2018 is upon us. Are you excited about this year? You excited about the possibilities? You excited about what God may have in store for you this year? Maybe it might be better than last year. Maybe it'll be a great year. Maybe not. But I promise you this, if you have the perspective that I want us to see this morning, I feel like you can walk into this year with some excitement. I think you can walk into this year with some enthusiasm. I think this year could be a great year. And I, I pray, I hope that you are excited at the end of our time together to know that you can walk into these difficulties with excitement. It's to get us there. I thought, what better text to start from than one of the most epic moments in all the Bible? The story of David and Goliath. One of the most epic battles in the Bible. And so I'm going to read it for us, and then I'm going to move us into the text. But let me, let me start by reading a big chunk for us. 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 17. One of the most epic moments. And I'm going to start right before the battle, so you'll see it. 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 16. For 40 days, the Philistine, that's Goliath, came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And so that means 40 days in a row, Goliath came and took his stand before the nation of Israel. Now, now it was morning and evening. And now I'm not a math major, I'm not good at math, but the best I can tell, that's 80 times. 80 times he stood before them and, and jeered them. And he says this, Now Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commanders of their 10,000s. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. He says, I want you to go on a cheese run to your brothers. Here's some sweet Gouda. Here's some cheddar. Go give the boys some snacksies. That's where he runs to do. Verse 19. Now Saul And they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the hosts were were going out to battle line, shouting the war cry. This is them going out to war. This is like football when you strap on the helmet, the pads, you're like, let's go, baby. You know, there's a lot of excitement in the charge. And when they get there, And Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper. He's going, I'm going to check this out. And the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked to them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks to the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Now all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? 
Surely he has come to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood with by him, And what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him the same way, saying, So shall it be done with the man who kills that guy. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke, and he said, when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with who have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? David, I know you're a little shepherd boy, you got a couple of woolies over there. Who have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? And David said, What have I done? Was it but a word? And as he turned away from he went to another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. And when the words of, that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. You're but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Your servant used to watch little lambs. Let me pray for us one more time, and we're going to jump in. Lord, thank you so much for this word, and I thank you so much for this opportunity to engage in this text. And Lord, I pray that we might see our lives the way David sees his life. I pray that we might have the perspective of David as we walk through our days. And I lift up this time to you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, over this Christmas, I had an amazing opportunity to take my kids to Disney World. We went to Florida. And it was amazing. It was a magical experience, magical moment. And when you take kids that are my kids' age to Disney World, you get to meet literally Elsa, Anna, Ariel, all of the famous princesses, Rapunzel, we saw them all. And, and it, was, it was an amazing time. The roller coaster rides, meeting the characters, it was so much fun. But there was one moment at the very, very end of the trip that just solidified how great the Disney experience was. And it was this. When we uh, went to a breakfast in which Rapunzel and Ariel were there greeting people, right? And so we got a little family photo uh, of this moment. I made a cameo appearance in the back, um, but it'll, it'll, it makes sense because when we're meeting these characters, what's fun, um, when my, your kids are my age or their age, uh, you're meeting the real people, right? I mean, this is Ariel. Why didn't she have a tail? Well, you can watch the movie and figure out she got to late, late, later on. So like, like, but you see the real Ariel and you see the real Elsa. You see the real characters right in front of you as Rapunzel and Ariel in this moment. And, and it, they do such a good job. And as you watch them interact with their kids and, and, and really own the part, it's, it's absolutely amazing to watch. And so I, I wanted, I'd read a little bit about what it takes to be a Disney princess, right? Um, as my kids call them, princesses. And, and, and I, I read a little about it, and, and they're intense. I mean, 
And, and you can't even say that you are playing a part. It's that is your friend, you know, so you become, anyway, so I, there's, there's lots of things with it. And so I see one of the guys that's kind of ushering, he's like a maitre d' ushering Ariel around. And so I wanted to get some background because I wanted to know, are these princesses that they cast, do they have like a similar personality? Are they similar? Because that's what they kind of look for. And so I'm literally having a conversation with that guy behind them, all right? And so I asked him, I said, hey, how long have you been working here? And he's like, oh, well, I've been working with Ariel for 12 years. And I was like, well, good for you, you know? And so I said, so uh, are, are all the Ariels kind of similar in personality? Are they kind of all alike? And then he looks at me like I'm crazy. He goes, he goes well, Ariel has always been the same um, these 12 years. And, and, uh, and this is great. And when I first heard that, I was kind of like taken aback. I was, I was going, okay, why are you treating me like a child? And, and, and then I thought about it. I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. I, I, this is beautiful. You are owning your part all the way through. And, and you're not going to break, right? You're going to own this all the way through. And I thought about that and I go, there's a reason for this. It's because they're representing their kingdom, the magic kingdom, Right? Like, and it is a magical place, right? And so when you walk in, there is an experience they want to create. There's an environment they're, they're, they're opening up for you, and they want you to leave your reality and come into this new magical reality. And they're going to hold their role all the way through it. They're going to own their part. They're going to live their season in this moment. And I thought about that. I'm like, I'm like what would it be like if Christians... As we have, as believers really owned our season of life. And here's what I mean by that. Your season of life is, is whatever you are currently in. It's, it's your season. It's, it's your job. It's your life stage. It's your opportunities in front of you. It's your current problems. What would it look like for Christians to really own their season of life? And, and I thought about that because we represent a different king, Right? We represent Christ as king. And, and is there a way that we as Christians could not merely walk into 2018 just dealing with what's coming, but to embrace it, to realize that there's no small role in the Christian life, to enjoy it, know that there's battles to fight, but those are our battles that God has given us to fight and to give our all in it because the victory in every part of life is ultimately the Lord's and to tackle this that we would embrace it, enjoy it, and give our all for it. To get this, I really think there's, there's so much we can learn from the life of David. Now, Tim Keller has an amazing sermon and, and, and insight into the life of David. and he, he makes an amazing parallel, and he says this. David is, like, is a king like Jesus is king. He is a victor in the way that, that only he can win. But there are many things we can learn from the life of David, including that he needs to step in for us. There's also this. There's a way that he lives life that we can embrace and embody. There's a perspective that David has in this moment that I hope that we have. And the setting is, is epic. I mean, every major story follows this type of storyline. Watch Remember the Titans. Watch any movie. It's, there's an overwhelming enemy. And you see that in Goliath. It says earlier that he's over eight feet tall. The tallest man um, on earth nowadays is, is somewhere around eight foot six. So he would have been right up there with him. 
And they describe his armament. It was immense in size and in weight. And the, the entire description is meant to show you this, an overwhelming enemy that there is no chance you have against coming out, demanding representative warfare. You see, in ancient warfare, you could fight army against army, or you could send out one individual to represent each army. And instead of everyone dying, one person from each side would represent, one would die, and then the other army would be subservient to that victor. And so that's what Goliath is calling out. Each day for 40 days, 80 times, he is coming out in front of them saying, who wants some? Who wants some of this? Who wants some of me? And he is fighting them. He is terrifying them. And as they see it, the army of Israel runs in terror. They're like, I'm not going out. And for six weeks, they're holding their ground saying, I'm not going to go out there. And suddenly an unimpressive figure walks in, David, a young guy who's not even supposed to be there, right? I mean, he's a, he's a lowly shepherd kid and he's, he's on a cheese run from his dad. You know, his brothers are at the war. They're the ones that are fighting. And dad's like, okay, I'm worried about the boys here. Bring some Gouda bring some brie and go out to those boys and see. And you see David walking into the battle line being like, who wants some cheddar? Who wants some good? You know, like just handing out snacksies for the boys. And, and in that moment, he hears something. The armies are going to line up. The champion comes down. And David hears something for the first time and responds in an entirely different way. He hears something for the first time that they had all been terrified of. But when he hears it, he has an entirely different perspective. And so he's asking him, okay, what's going to happen with the guy who takes down big fella? And they're like, oh man, it's going to be awesome. And he's going to marry the king's daughter. So he's going to have royalty. His parents are going to be free from taxation. It's going to be great. And David's like, that sounds awesome. But he's defying the armies of the living God. Let's go take him down. And the people hear that, and they bring David into the king's presence, into Saul's presence. And in verse 31, it says, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he sent for him, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fall because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight. For you're but a youth, not, you're, you're teeny. And this man's been a, a man of war from his youth. And then David speaks because David saw what no one else saw. He says, but David said to Saul, verse 34, your servant used to keep sheep for your father. Your servant was a shepherd. Now, everyone's response is the same as your response. So what? But see, David saw his role very differently than what most of us see that role as. See, David saw this. There are no small roles in life. There are no small opportunities. There are no small positions. There are no small moments in life. There are merely things that have been entrusted to you. But see, everyone saw this little moment of watching sheep as unimportant and unimpressive. In fact, earlier on in the story in 1 Samuel 16, you see Samuel going to the house of Jesse to anoint a new king, one of the brothers. And David's got a bunch of brothers and each one comes in. They look tall. They look attractive. They look amazing. Samuel's like, surely one of these guys is it. 
And God passes by over all of them. And then Samuel's kind of at a loss. He's going, okay, well, do you have another kid? Something went wrong here. And Jesse speaks up and he goes, yeah, but, I mean, there's David, but dude's watching sheep. I mean, smells. There's a reason we stuck him out there in the wilderness. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's watching sheep. He was forgotten by his father. But he's also belittled by his brothers. I mean, when you see he gets into the battle moment, he's asking what's going on. And his brother Eliab goes, okay, David, where'd you leave those five sheep that you're in charge of? Okay, get out of here, man. See, no one thought this was impressive. When he says it to Saul, your servant has been watching sheep. Saul doesn't be like, well, here we go, man. Like, go on. You know, he tries to outfit him with armor later on because that's not the picture of power in their culture, nor in our culture. You see, what David, though, what he saw in this moment is that this role was significant because he was watching what was given to him. He was embracing his opportunity in this moment, and he was doing it really, really well. But I'll tell you what, in life, it is always easy to long for a different season. It is always easy to long for a different role. I mean, some of you are going to be graduating college soon, in May, maybe. Maybe one of you, that'll be awesome for you. And you'll get your first job. And you'll walk into that career moment. It'll be so exciting. You're like, you walk across the stage. You got the diploma. What are you going to do? You're like, I've got a job somewhere. What's what's it doing? I don't care. I got a job. And you're going to walk into that first job. And they're going to give you things to do. And three months in, you're going to go, good God, this job is horrible. It's my first job. But... But you're going to be like, I can't wait to own this company, right? And so there's been all this talk about millennials and about in the workforce, how they're expecting pay raises and to be CEO very soon. And I'm like, all of us felt that way. You know, like you walk into your first job and it just feels like you're the low man on the totem pole and you've got no real opportunity. You're just paying your dues, right? Or you're single. Anyone single? No, y'all are all day. Awesome. Good. I'm married. There might be one or two single people in the room. Um, or newly engaged, but uh, we, we have some new single people in the room. And for many of you, it can feel like you're just biding your time until you can get rid of your single life, right? You're Rapunzel in your tower going like, when will my life begin? You know, like you're just waiting for some new opportunity, right? And right now you're just dealing with the present, hoping for something bigger, you know? And what's so interesting, I read this study from the Brookings Institute, and it says this. They look at happy, happiness levels in people. And here's what they discovered, that happiness levels seem to increase until you're about 20. And then from 20 over the next several decades, it engages in a steady decline until you reach about 60. And at that point, it starts to turn up. Now, this is across cultures. This is across peoples. This is everyone. So just know, once you hit 20, you hit the high, buddy. And about four decades later, you know, it'll start to turn turn back up and, and, and they looked at this and they're like, why? Why is this the case? And what they've discovered is that there's this steady pain point where people say, I just want something else. I just longing for a different season, longing for a different place because as soon as you exit the, the time of, <laughs> whenever you exit high school, you're going to be like, oh, finally I made it. I mean, it's a college and you're going to get there in college with so many hopes and opportunities. You're going to talk to a seasoned senior and they'll be like, I can't wait to get out of here. And you're like, I just got here. Like, why do you want to leave? And they're just like, oh, this place stinks. And then you're just like going to go to the next place and you're going to live in the dorm and you're going to 
want to get out of the dorm, and then you get an apartment, you want to get out of the apartment, then you get a job, and you're finally out there, and you're going to get that first job, you're going to be so excited in there, and there's going to be people that will be like, oh man, wasn't college great? And you're like, I thought the ultimate was out here. I thought I was dealing with all that to get here, and they're going to be like, oh no, the, the good times are all back there. You're like, no, no, what did I do? And then you're going to get married, and you're going to be like, oh man, now we need kids. And once you've got kids, you're going to be like, Oh man, when are the kids going to graduate? Like what? <laughs> and there's this perpetual cycle that we can run through of always wanting the next season, always wanting the next thing. And I'll tell you what, you can spend your life in that steady decline of happiness, always hoping for some greater season. But David doesn't do that. What does he do? He owns this season. He owns this role. He says, I'm going to give my best here. I remember the first job in ministry I had. I was doing outreach ministry to the UT track team. Now's your chance. Yeah, there you go. Okay, good. And I remember some weeks there'd be like 10 guys there and we're like starting to share the gospel and getting people moving in the right direction. And then other weeks I would show up with my Bible study prepared and no one's there but me. I'm like, God, I did not sign up for this. I remember when I first got my first job here at Grace. I was doing junior high ministry, right? And it was over the summer. And what I didn't realize, because I was a newbie, is that summer in College Station is a barren wasteland, right? Like everyone, everyone leaves. And, and I go, the first week, you got like five or seven junior high guys there. And I'm like, oh, this is great. And then week two, there was one kid and three leaders, right? And so we're like triple teaming. This one kid, and he was like, I don't know the answer to the Bible. Hey, answer the Bible. You know, I'm, I'm like... And I remember walking away from that moment. I was like, I thought I, it was going to be easier. I thought it was going to be better. And I remember walking away from that moment going like, God, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want this. And I remember that moment I resolved in my mind and in my heart. As I, as I heard a, just a, a whisper from God as he does sometimes. We said, well, you love the one sheep. Oh my God, I want, I want more than one sheep. I'll trust you with one. Will you love him? Will you care for him? Will you lead him? And I resolved at that moment, it doesn't matter if I'm talking to one or 1,000 or five or 10 or 10. It doesn't matter what the number is. Every moment is going to get my best because there are no small roles in the Christian life. If you have a job, it's given by God. If you're in high school, that is a unique opportunity given by God. If you have a part-time job, that is a unique spot given by God where God has put you purposefully that you would own it. There's no small roles in the Christian life because we've had a God who's sovereign over everyone's spot and he stuck you there purposefully. And David says, okay, I'm going to own this season. I'm going to own this spot. I'm not ashamed that I was a shepherd. I was a shepherd. And when you start owning that spot, there's something else that's going to happen. That spot is going to bring challenges. It's going to bring battles. And owning your season means this, that you own the battles that you have to fight. David says it this way in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep your sheep for his father. And when a, there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him 
and delivered it out of its mouth. And if he rose against me, I grabbed him by the beard and struck him and killed him. And I'm like, okay, hold up. Let's stop right there. You may have a rough job, right? Like you have rough, rough challenges. I, um, recently, uh, College Station High School uh, just won the state championship, right? But some of you in this room might be happy about that. Well, and one of my son's teachers uh, at, a, at a preschool, her husband is one of the coaches there. And, and some of the coaches come here to Grace. And, and, but her husband's one of the coaches uh, at College Station High School. And, and she said, you know, some of these guys have been coaching for 26 years and never won a championship. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's dedication. And I thought about what it looked like to be a football coach, you know, what it looked like to engage with that. What are the challenges that come, you know, putting on the pads, the early mornings, the late nights, all the film, like, that's so tough. And I'm like, okay. But in their hardest matchup, right, when they're going against Alito in the state championship match, they're not facing lions and bears. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it may be tough, but it's not like they've got like ravaged lions going like, go after it, get, protect the ball, you know, and, and they're carrying sheep around. Like it's, it's not the same, right? I mean, your boss may be unreasonable, but he's not trying to eat you or your products, you know? Um, or if you're a teacher, you know, like you teach junior high students. Well, you know exactly what David's going through, right? Because every day you walk in and you're like, who's the, she- who's the sheep? Who's the, wo-? you know, like, who's the lion? Who's the sheep? Who's the sacrificial lamb today? So you, you know exactly what he's talking about. But, but for most of us, the challenges that we face are never this big. But I'll tell you what, you will have obstacles, right? Your work will bring challenges. Your life will bring challenges that often feel too big to overcome. It's just your challenges with your kids, Right? As you're loving on your kid and trying to get that kid to grow and, and love the Lord and love the things, there's challenges that will, will become unreasonable. Or challenges at work, the expectations that become overwhelming, or challenges with your family. As you're walking back from the holidays, you're like, I don't know what's there going on. And for all of us in life, we will t- face insurmountable challenges. But I'll tell you what, owning the moment means this. Those battles are my battles. Those small fights are my fights. You see, if I'm looking at David at this moment, I'm looking to want to play the percentages. Because just think about what he's going through, right? He's out by himself in the middle of the wilderness. He's got his sheep he's watching. And suddenly a lion just comes into the mix and just grabs one up by the mouth and starts running. What would you do? I'd start playing the percentages, right? Like if I get 70% of the sheep in safely, right? I lose 30%. That's not bad. Like if I'm playing baseball and I hit 70% of the pitches, like I'm getting a race, right? If I'm playing basketball, I'm hitting 70% of my shots. That's okay. You know, like I'm starting to play the percentages, but not David. What does he do? He says, I'm going, what did that bear do? And he runs after it, grabs it by the beard, right? That means he's smelling its breath, beating it over the head to bring that sheep back. I'm like, I, if you run a business, this is the employee you want, right? Like, oh man, sales were hard today. You know, a lot of, a lot of no's, a lot of phone calls. I'm like, well, did you tackle anyone to get a sale, right? Did you track them down, like stalk them to get a sale? Like what? Like, I mean, if you are an employee, this is, this is the employee that is employee of the month, right? I mean, he's tackling 
insurmountable obstacles. He is going after literally things in the jaws of death and giving his best for it. And I'm like, that is beautiful. That is owning your season. That's fighting your battles. That means you're stepping above and beyond and bringing your best to that moment. I was reading a book um, over the break and it was called The Power of Moments. And it's written about... um, It shares a story about a particular hotel company called the Ritz-Carlton who who embodied this, giving above and beyond. And the story was this. uh, A couple had gone to the Ritz-Carlton, stayed there on vacation, and their son had left his little giraffe at the hotel. Now, if you're a parent, you realize this is the beginning of the end. You know, like if the kid doesn't have the special toy, he will not take naps, he will not sleep at night, and your life will be miserable until you get the toy back. Like, this is how life works. And so the, the dad uh, decided to, to lie to the child to save himself. And he said this. Um, well, Joshi, the little giraffe, is staying a little bit longer on vacation at the Ritz-Carlton. And he'll come back with us later on. But immediately, the dad's like, oh, great. Now i got to find Joshi. So he calls up the Ritz-Carlton and says, hey, we think we left this there. Can you just mail it to us as quickly as possible? And he got about a week later in the mail, Joshi and a photo album of Joshi's adventures. So that's Joshi. The photo album included this picture of Joshi hanging with friends, you know. Joshi getting massage. Oh. Josh getting a massage uh, right there. Uh, cucumbers on, on the eyes, you know, just in case they're swollen. Joshy by uh, the, the, you know, lounging by the pool. And, and I, I love each one of those pictures because I, I went, okay, some employee at the Ritz-Carlton said, I'm not merely going to mail this little Joshy to this family. I'm going to make an experience. I'm going to bring my best. And I don't know how much this employee makes, but not enough, Right? <laughs> I mean, he made a photo album to send to this family to show the, the celebration of this, for this little kid, you know, share this little moment for this kid. I'm like, that's beautiful. That's bringing your best. That's giving it your all. That's what David does. And there's a reason David does it. It's because he knows ultimately this is not about saving this little sheep. I'm not working merely for my father who's forgotten me. I don't care about what my brothers think about my life stage. What what is this whole thing about? He is working for the Lord. See, in every moment of his life, he knows I am leveraging this season for the Lord. This is the Lord's work. This is the Lord's sheep. This is the Lord's flock. And all I'm doing in this season is I'm giving my best in this season for what is ultimately the Lord's work. Well, how do I know that? Well, look what he says in verse 36. He says, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Who brought the victory in every one of David's battles? The Lord. You see, David saw every victory 
as the Lord's victory. He saw every success he encountered as ultimately the Lord's success. You see, he was leveraging his life for what were God-given opportunities, God-given responsibilities. Every success was ultimately the Lord's success. So when I go after that sheep, if I go after that giant, the victory is ultimately going to come from God. And this is where Tim, Tim Keller's insight is so crucial for us. Because you're going to face challenges this year. You're going to face obstacles this year. You're going to face things that are well beyond your ability to control. And you might think, well, I'll just get my stick and a stone and start slaying giants. But that's not how it works. Every victory you face in life is ultimately a God-sized challenge that requires a God-sized David. And we have it in the person of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ walked into this world. He lived the life we could not live in perfect obedience to God. He died the death we deserve to die. And he is the one that purchases for us victory. And so the first step in this to know that the success is the Lord's is to get behind Jesus, the son of David, the rightful king, the king who is ruling your life and my life, the one who ultimately wins every victory. But not merely that. It means we fight alongside him. You see, once you believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins, you're forgiven. But more than that, it means you get to step alongside him and fight with him. I want you to look at what David did. He says the deliverance was from the Lord. See, when I pray my prayers for God to overcome my challenges, I usually think what that means is that God removes all obstacles, right? Like if I want God to come through for me, what that means is all challenges go away. So if I'm David in this moment and I'm praying, I'm going... Lord, I'm so sorry that that bear ate my sheep. If you are for me, have the bear drop the sheep. Become full and jaunt away free, you know, and leave the sheep. Like, that's how I think God as God coming through, right? If I'm having financial problems, what that means is I get in the mail a check for a bagillion dollars and it removes all problems, right? If I'm um, struggling because I'm single, I'm, I just want God to drop a person in front of me. You know, like, no tender, no dating, just this is the one. Perfect, God. You answered my prayer, right? And you just, like, go from there, right? So some of you want that. I've talked to the girls, and you're like, I, I arranged marriages would be awesome because for that reason. I just want to deal with all the other things, you know? And, and, and for some of you, like, that's what it means for God to step in. That's what it means for God to deliver me. But look at how David gets the deliverance of God. Did you see it? He says, I grabbed it by the beard and beat it over the head, the most terrifying thing I would ever face. And how did I know God was with me? I walked away. (laughs) How do I know God is guiding my life? He doesn't remove your problems. And he doesn't make it easy. What it means is he is with you in the struggle. He is with you in the fight. It means you get to walk through life's messiness. And see God provide. It means with your kids, God's not going to remove all the problems your kids face. This morning, I walk into my kid's room, and one of my kids is sitting naked, screaming at me that I don't want to come to church. 
I'm like, I'm a professional Christian, people. We can't do this. You know, like what? And there is so, so much within me that just wants to like play the percentages, right? You know, if I can get three there, three out of four is not bad. You know, like that's, that's fine. But God's like, no, no, no. To engage means you jump into the messiness. Or some of you got neighbors that don't love the Lord and you're praying for them. Your next step is to jump into their life, into the fray of their messy marriage, divorce, kids, and you jump into the midst of it and say, I'm going to see if the Lord provides deliverance and saves them. It means you engage with your boss. It means you engage with your coworker. It means I own every season that I'm in, knowing that if God's put me in it, then he's going to see me through it. If God has given me that opportunity, I can trust God to lead me through it. And I believe in him. See, success ultimately comes from the Lord. Victory is the Lord's. And that's what David sees. And will your life go smoothly this 2018? I hope so. I hope you see more victories than defeats. But for Paul, it meant some shipwrecking. It meant some beatings. It meant a rough go. For Peter, it meant being crucified upside down. Right? That was rough. But here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 53. It's one of my favorite verses. He says this. Be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I pray that you own your season. We have a cool opportunity this morning to celebrate communion. Communion is the the amazing remembrance of what Jesus did on your behalf. That he died in your place for your sins. That you might be freed from your sin, but more than that, that you might live a new life in him. The men are going back to prepare that. While they're doing that, I would ask you in this moment to prepare your heart. What are some of the challenges that you've got right in front of you this semester? Is it with family? Is it with school? Is it with work? Is it with friends? Is it with relationships? Is it with kids? I don't, I don't know what challenges you are facing, but I know there's probably something that, that's on your mind that got you spinning. I pray that you, at this moment, I'm going to pray for us, that you would, you would hold that, that challenge right here next to your heart and that you would begin opening up your hands and saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm not going to abandon it. You've put it right in front of me. I'm not going to neglect it. You put it right here. But I'm going to trust you that if you've given me this, you're actually going to help see me through it. Why don't you prepare your, bow your head, prepare your hearts. I'll pray for us in a moment. Lord, I thank you so much for men and women of faith that have walked before us. That live lives of faithfulness and not without problems, not without challenges, but the lives where they have been faithful 
where they've owned their spot. And Lord, I know that there's challenges right in front of us that we're facing. Lord, I pray that as we we confess those to you, you would show us that you are going to walk us through every one of those challenges. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he's sitting with the disciples at the table and he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to each one of them. He said, this is my body that has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Then he took the cup. He looked at his disciples and he said, this is my blood that has been poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much that you sent your son in our place for our sins to forgive us and free us. That he knew the challenges that we walked through and he, he didn't ignore them. He engages us in them. And Lord, I know that there's so many great things that are going to happen in 2018. I pray that we would own this season as a church, as a community, and that we would move forward together, helping one another, encouraging one another, and standing with one another. And we might see you do great things through us. I lift up everyone here and myself that we would be faithful with our moments, with our season. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me in worship?